I want you to imagine for a minute that there was a visitor here to St. Joe's. Last time they came was before Lent. So sometime after Christmas, ordinary time, they were here for Mass. Then they're away on travels, not here for Easter, and they come back today. They're back in town today for Mass. And now this is even more difficult to imagine. Imagine that all of this isn't here. The flowers aren't here. The Paschal candle isn't here. Just kind of looks like regular Sunday. What would they see in this place that would tell them something has happened, something amazing has transpired? What we say is really the greatest moment in the liturgical year because it celebrates the greatest moment in all of history. What would they see? What would they say? Well, at a trivial level, they'd say, wow, a bunch of people are in the front pews. But they know one front pew that's always occupied. But that's no small thing, and I I don't say that to be a wise guy. I mean, imagine someone gave you free tickets to the Final Four of the NCAA, and you could sit anywhere you wanted. How many would say, no, I don't want to be at courtside. That's too close. Let me go all the way in the back. I can see things, and... If the game goes into overtime, I can leave because I've been there long enough already. (laughs) And rather than wave our finger and say, what's the matter? Why aren't you at church? We should honestly ask ourselves, why aren't we more engaged? I'm talking to the choir here. I get that. But we all know, we all know not everyone feels as engaged. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Mass should be an entertainment show necessarily. But there should be something there in our faith that deeply engages us and that we see the celebration of the sacraments as a wonderful opportunity to just reinvigorate that engagement, whatever it looks like for us. Think of folks who work over at the food pantry. Look how that's taken off here. The bed-making ministry, all these different ministries. But it can also be simple things like witnessing to our faith in our families or throughout the year. But what is it for you? And if the answer with brutal honesty is, well, I don't know. Maybe I couldn't really point to something concretely, not just on Sunday morning, but on Thursday afternoon. Or I don't know that I could point to a passion in my heart that engages me, that's grounded in my faith the way that other passions are. And as I said, rather than feel despondent over that or disappointed, it's a wonderful opportunity And I'm mentioning all of this, I mean, as it was said, and it's in our worship aid there, the new homily series is about Jesus with us. But I mean, we've all heard that pretty much ever since we started learning about the faith. The question is, what difference does that presence make? And what does it look like? And I'd like to suggest today, when we have this extraordinary scene of Jesus and Thomas, right? We're all familiar with that one. If you want to know what's the fruit of that, what was the engagement that followed from that? Because the gospel doesn't tell you. It just cuts off at the end. And if you're like me, you're wondering, gosh, was Thomas converted for life? I mean, did he ever have that same question again? Because Jesus doesn't stick around indefinitely that way. And if you want to know what it looks like, if you want to see what the engagement looks like, we've got it staring us in the face in that very first reading. And the funny thing about these Easter season readings is the Gospels are always before Pentecost and the first readings are always after Pentecost. So you kind of got to flip it around in your mind 
If you want to say, well, what's the fruit of what was going on in the gospel? Look at what was happening in the Acts of the Apostles. And what we see is they were gathered together. Talk about creative. That's not the normal way people lived in first century Palestine any more than it's the normal way people live today. They shared things in common. They prayed together. But the two words I'd particularly draw your attention to are that there was a sense of awe that was in their community. And many signs and wonders were done. Awe and wonder. We talk about that a lot in our faith. And we even know at the level of how people learn that those emotions often give rise to greater creativity. This is a real thing. I'm not just winging it here. Experiences of awe and wonder literally render our minds more creative. And they can test that in simple ways, but I would suggest in our spiritual lives, we know what that looks like. And to be able to ask yourself, where's the awe and wonder that you've seen in the case of your life? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's holding your first child. Maybe it's a memory that surfaces every time you come and it is Easter season and you see the flowers and you remember what it means that your family had faith, that somebody taught it to you. Maybe there was a pretty dark day in your life and all you had were your prayers and somehow it came through, even if externally things didn't change. And even if it's not overtly religious, just ask yourself, where is the awe and wonder in my life right now? And sometimes we're just not that intentional about it, but when we stop and really try to name it and then sit with it and think about it and discuss it, it's amazing what can begin to grow from it. And then to push ourselves and say, well, where is God in the midst of that? What if I prayed around it? What if I brought it into the next mass I encountered? What if I talked about it with somebody that I regularly celebrate the faith with? That's different than just talking about it sitting in a coffee shop somewhere. And you see the fruit of Thomas's encounter. It's freedom. If you want to see creativity in action, look for freedom. And there's a freedom that Thomas and the others begin to experience. Yes, we hear that sense of forgiveness, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. But I don't think Jesus is primarily talking about other people whose sins we forgive. I think he's talking to them saying, if you can practice forgiveness, you'll have a heart that's freer. And if you hold on to those sins, those wrongs that have been done to you, you're the one who's confined. I've offered forgiveness to plenty of people who couldn't have cared less they're not necessarily going to receive it. But I know what it feels like for me to be able to say, I want to be free of this thing I'm holding on to like a dog with an old bone. And that's the freedom Jesus gives. And in John's version, this is his Pentecost, Jesus breathes his spirit upon them. And what is the fruit of that freedom? You see it right there in the first reading, a transformed community an ability to be more generous and less grasping, and a community that gives rise seemingly spontaneously to awe and signs of wonder that other people were looking at, almost certainly saying, what's up with these guys? Why are they living this way? What have they got that I don't? And I'd love to have heard Thomas's answer to that because I bet 
he had an answer that was probably way more eloquent than anyone else. He knew what it felt like, perhaps to feel a little bit hurt or sad or maybe even ashamed that he wasn't there the first time when Jesus came. He knew what it felt like to long for the gifts that seemingly others had. And why didn't he? Was there something he had done that caused him to not be there when Jesus came? And then to know the joy and the fruit of the special focused attention. Jesus didn't say to anybody else, put your hands here. And on the one hand, we can look at it and say, wow, Jesus really called him out for his doubt. I think Jesus gave him a wonderful opportunity to celebrate the truth in a way even more intimate than the others in that room could have known. So just a little invitation to spiritual exercise in this second week of the Easter season. Ask yourself, where is the awe and the wonder in my life? And if you struggle to name it, ask someone who knows you well. I'll bet they can name it for you. And then push yourself and say, what creativity could come from this gift? How could I leverage it? How could I use it? What is the Lord prompting me, nudging me, pushing me to do with that gift of grace? We wouldn't be here 2,000 years later if those fruits weren't truly powerful and wonderful. But it looks like something unique for each and every one of us. When Jesus looks in your eye and says, put your fingers here because I want you to experience it, what is he showing you?